If you've got your Bible, you want to turn to 1 Peter. And we are continuing this series in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. And we are going to start reading at verse 12 this morning. Beloved. <laughs> what a great way to start. Ones who are loved, who are cherished by God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or, or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Peter has been working hard throughout this whole letter to remind us of the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And, and we've seen him come a time and time again at the gospel message of what Jesus Christ has done for us and how we are made new in him and how we have received life in him. And he continues to bring us back to that living hope that not only is a hope for heaven, that one day we will be with him for all of eternity, but it is a living hope that, that, that we live out right now, that the resurrected Christ lives in us and leads and guides us through every circumstance, through every situation that we might face. And in the midst of that message of living hope, he then speaks to our sufferings. And he's, he's writing this letter because the people that he is writing to are experiencing serious suffering, serious persecution. Some have lost their lives. They've certainly lost their um, employment. They've lost their opportunity of making a living. They've also lost connection with their family. They've lost their social standing in the community. There are those that have been uh, beaten and persecuted. And in the midst of all of that, dealing with sickness and, and, and pain and all the rest. 
And Peter is writing into their lives to help redirect and reframe their understanding of what that suffering is all about. And we come back time and time again to this from different directions about how we need to uh, uh, do good in the midst of suffering, that we don't have to be surprised. You remember when we looked at chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 21, where he wrote, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. The life of a follower of Christ is a life of suffering. It's your calling. And because of the blessing of God, for us in the Western world, our experience of suffering has been so minimal that we have forgotten the importance of suffering in our lives. The value that there is in suffering. And so in this passage, he again comes back to this theme and says, do not be surprised when you face the fiery trial that comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening. Today, my friends, we need to change our perspective towards suffering. We have become, in this culture, we have become so sterilized, so our technology has allowed us to to remove us from suffering in so many different ways. And it becomes the ultimate evil that anyone would suffer. Peter wants to speak into our lives and change our understanding of that. And as our culture continues to change, moving further and further away from a Christ-centered understanding, we are going to experience suffering more and more. And if we don't, if we don't allow Peter's words to change the way that we understand suffering, we're going to get knocked over. We're going to miss the opportunity. And so he comes back and he says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, but rejoice. (laughs) Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Peter's not just blowing smoke here. He's not just writing out of ignorance or, or writing out of naivety. This is a man who himself has experienced suffering. This is a man who himself, whose perspective towards suffering has had a radical transformation as he's come into contact with the message of Jesus Christ and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in his life. You remember, this is the same Peter who, when Jesus was arrested and on trial, he was the one who was denying Christ. He recognized the the potential of suffering that was coming his way if he aligned himself with Christ and he distanced himself. He, like us, said, I don't want suffering. I'm going to try and keep it away from me as much as I can. 
And yet just a few months later, after the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him and, and, and transformed his heart and transformed his understanding, along with the other disciples who were there before the Sanhedrin, who were beaten because they refused to stop preaching the name of Christ, went away from that beating rejoicing that they were counted worthy to share in the sufferings of Christ. He's not just speaking out of one side of his mouth. He knows what he's talking about. He's experienced that transformation in his understanding of suffering. And he wants very much for the people here that he's writing to to understand that the sufferings that they're going through are not reasons to feel depressed, to feel discouraged, to, to alter their integrity, to be able to try and, and cut corners in order to try and avoid that suffering. Instead, he's calling them to rejoice because you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. How can we rejoice? How can we rejoice in suffering? There are, there are specific things that come through suffering that give us reason to rejoice. And when we change our focus from those things that are uncomfortable at suffering and instead focus on what Christ does in our lives through that suffering, <laughs> there's reason to rejoice. When we suffer... We give witness to the saving love and power of Jesus Christ. When Jesus left his disciples and charged them to carry that message out into the world, he said, you will be my witnesses. The Greek word that's being used there, martyreos. Most times in your New Testament, when you see the word witness, it comes from that Greek word, martyreos. The reality that, that our witness often comes strongest out of our suffering became so ingrained in the Christian life and in Western society that now we have adopted that word when we talk about anybody who gives their lives for what they believe. Any martyr that comes from the word witness in Greek. When we suffer, we become a witness to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard of the man Dietrich Bonhoeffer? A German theologian during the time of the Third Reich in Nazi Germany. He was a member of the Confessing Church, a group of followers of Jesus who recognized that, that the, the, the allegiance to Hitler ultimately was idolatry. And they said, and they called the rest of the German church along with them to reject that allegiance to this corrupted, 
evil man and instead walk in faithfulness to Jesus Christ. As he continued to preach, as he continued to teach, even though it was illegal for him to do so, to preach the things that he was saying there in Nazi Germany, he became uh, the target of more and more persecution, so much so that he had some friends who, who gave him an opportunity to come to America uh, to do a preaching tour, but he had the opportunity then to stay in America and avoid all of the suffering that the confessing church was going through there in Germany. But the longer that he stayed here, the more he realized he was, he was being unfaithful to that fiery trial that God had called him to. And instead turned his back on the safety of living in America and returned back to Nazi Germany to continue his efforts in standing against that evil regime for which ultimately he was imprisoned. And just a few short weeks before Hitler ended his own life, he was sentenced and executed for his following of Jesus Christ. He wrote in one of his letters, I discovered later and am still discovering right up to this moment that it is only by living completely in this world that one learns to have faith. By this worldliness, I mean living unreservedly in life's duties, problems, successes, and failures. In doing so, we throw ourselves completely into the arms of God, taking seriously not our own sufferings, but those of God in the world. That, I think, is faith. After he was executed, the, the doctor that was there in the prison said these words, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God as he stood there and faced the fiery trial that God put in his path. His witness became a testimony to many that he was in prison with. Those both that were prisoners with him as well as those who were his uh, prison guards and, and, and prison personnel. His writings, the letters that he penned while he was there in prison have become staples for so many to find strength in the midst of suffering. His witness continues on to this day. Because instead of looking for a way to, to avoid that fiery trial, he submitted himself to God and rejoiced in those sufferings and trusted his soul to a faithful creator. So we can rejoice in our sufferings because God uses that suffering to create a witness, a testimony in this world that others would be able to, to experience the life that we have received through Christ's sufferings. Second thing that, that happens in our lives when 
when we go through the fiery trial is that we are purified. You remember uh, verse 1 of chapter 4 where it talks about those who have suffered have ceased from sin. They have died to sin. Just as Christ died and, and, and was crucified and, and, and our sinful nature was crucified with him that we can now live with his life in us. We are purified through our sufferings. You remember just a few years ago in 2015, there was a Canadian pastor from Toronto. He was a, a born South Korean but had emigrated to Canada and became a pastor and he and his church were very much involved in trying to reach out to North Koreans to have a ministry there. And he had an opportunity of going on a missions trip uh, to help uh, 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 support some of the, the North Korean churches that were there. They went undercover and, and were uh, doing work with agriculture and things like that to be able to support the work of, of North Koreans. His name, Pastor Hyung Soo Lim. I don't know if that translates. Uh, uh, pronunciation was at all correct, but Hyung Soo Soo Lim. While he was there, he was arrested as a spy. Sentenced to death, but that was then commuted into a life of hard labor. And over the next two and a half, three years almost, he was there in North Korean prison uh, working, digging one meter square holes in the frozen soil in the wintertime and then filling them back up again as they tried to break his heart and break his soul. Eventually, through the work of, of the Canadian embassy and the Canadian government, they were able to negotiate his release. And in 2017, he came back to Canada. And his, in his address to his church, uh, these are some of his words. He says, I was sentenced to death by North Korea, but the sentence was commuted to life of hard labor. From that moment, there were days of overwhelming loneliness. From the first day of my detainment until the day I was released, I ate 2,757 meals in isolation by myself. It was Difficult to see when and how the ordeal would end. But this isolation also gave me the opportunity to spend an extended time of solitude with God. During my time there, I read the Bible in both English and Korean five times, memorized over 700 Bible verses. I worshiped alone for 130 Sundays. While laboring, I prayed without ceasing. There were moments of discouragement, of resentment, of grumbling. But that soon changed into courage, into joy and thanksgiving. I learned to fully accept all of this as, from, as a form of God's love and discipline to make me stronger. When we go through the fiery trial, God uses that in our lives to refine our hearts, to purify our lives, to, to, uh, to remove those aspects of our lives where we've been depending on ourselves so that we are fully surrendered to His work in our lives. 
We are fully submitted to His leading and guiding. There is a purification that happens in our lives when we trust our souls to a faithful Creator. And in that, we can rejoice. Third thing that happens in our lives when we go through the fiery trial is that we experience like we never can the presence and comfort of our God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul describes God as the, the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions. And it's when we're in those times of affliction that, that we cry out to God and suddenly He is there in a way that we could have never experienced before. Job testifies to this. As we read through his account there in Scripture, talking about all of the struggles and even in the midst of his crying out to God, this isn't fair. I don't deserve this. And he lays out before God his 40 demands. In that moment, God met with him and responded with 40 of his own questions to Job. Who are you? And I love Job's response. He said, Before my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, and I repent. When we are in that fiery trial, that theoretical protection and provision and presence of God suddenly becomes very real. And it's reason to rejoice. Some of you will remember uh, here from this community in Coombs, uh, Maureen and Detlef Bushhouse. Detlef was a, a vibrant German man, a hard worker, going, going concern all the time they had. Uh, four, am I right, four kids. Most of them at this point, by the time he was in his 50s, they were either adult or just coming out of high school. And in that, he contracted an inoperable brain tumor, which so quickly uh, condemned him to be an invalid, lying in bed, needing to be served hand foot not being able to do anything by himself and and over the next few months as he suffered there in bed with his wife Maureen caring for him I would go over and and meet and talk with them and you know when when you go into the house of somebody who's experiencing that kind of suffering you go in a little bit ready for God why the anger and the frustration which I Totally understand. But going and meeting with Detlef and Maureen, they described the presence of God that they had never experienced before. They described the, the transformation of their relationship as husband and wife that had never been closer, more intimate before that they 
continued to, to describe this brain tumor as a blessing. That they, not, not that they were blessed in spite of this tumor, but instead that they were blessed because of this infirmity that he had. That in that fiery trial that they experienced, they saw the face of God like they had never seen. Their ears had heard of him before, but in this fiery trial, their eyes beheld their Savior. And it was enough. When we trust our soul to a faithful creator, when we walk through that fiery trial, his presence becomes real. And it's something to rejoice about. Fourth thing that we see that comes through our afflictions, through our suffering, is that God's glory is revealed. Paul, uh, Peter here, writes, verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I was reminded of the story told by Steve Saint. Those of you that might not know him, he is the, the son of Nate Saint, who was a part of a group of five missionaries that went down into South America to reach out to uh, an isolated tribe called the, I'll make sure I say this right, Waodan. Is that right? It, it was, it, they, they are often known as the Aka Indians. Um, but that's not the name that, they, that those people have given for themselves. That's the name of outsiders looking at this tribe, that they are this fierce, savage tribe. And that's what Alka means, is that they are the savage ones. But for the people themselves that lived in this community, they call themselves the Waudin, uh, the true people. An isolated tribe that, that had been so isolated for so many generations, their language had no connection to any of the other Indian tribes that lived around them. So nobody was able to communicate with them. Nobody knew how to be able to speak with them. And these five missionaries felt the call of God that they needed to go and reach out to this particular people and, and, and did it through aviation ministry, the, uh, a plane that, that Steve Saint's father, Nate Saint, flew. And they were able to drop gifts into the, uh, a village that they were able to find and, and started trying to build relationships with people. And they found ways of connecting where they could have a, a, a long bucket off a long rope and as the plane would circle around, it would, the bucket would stay there in one place and they could give gifts to the people and they were then also receiving gifts back from this people of the village. And they were feeling confident that, that, that there was time for them to make first contact, that they were building friends and so they found down the river a little ways, a little beach that he could land his plane. And they waited there and and a, a trio of, of, of people from the, from the tribe came and met with them, and they had this, seemed like a, a great experience, a great contact. 
And they went away, this, uh, these trio of, of individuals went away, and the men were, were rejoicing and celebrating that God had made a way, that he was making a path into the, into the life of this village. And the next day, as they were waiting for the return of this tribe, warriors came from the tribe and killed all five of the missionaries. It is a powerful story. Because the story goes on beyond that, that, that shortly after that, within a, a year and a half, one of the widows of one of the missionaries was invited to come back to this very same tribe that had killed her husband. She took her young daughter and, and sister, an aunt of, of Steve Saint, a sister of Nate Saint, and they went back into that. And, and the, the Lord had this miraculous ministry of transforming lives, of bringing the, the light of the gospel into this, into this uh, village that was so dark and so, uh, so surrounded by death. And Steve was able to, to grow up and, and be a part of this community and build relationships, rubbing shoulders with the very men who had killed his father. It's an amazing story of forgiveness, of God's grace, But as the years went on and, and, and as Steve had opportunity um, to, to walk with the very man who had speared, pierced his father's heart, who had killed his dad, and they worked through the, <laughs> the trauma of all of that together there on the beach where his father had been killed. They described, uh, the, the, the Indians described how after they had speared all of these missionaries, there were these, what they described as strangers, dressed in white, that were up in the treetops across the river, that were chanting these words that they didn't understand, and it scared them, and that's why they ran off. And it was those shining lights, those shining strangers, that was part of the motivation for them to, to try and find out more. They recognized that there was something spiritual that was going on there. And not only did they see it, but they also recognized that the dying men were, were seeing <laughs> the lights that were glowing up in the trees and praising God. <laughs> Sorry. Steve continued to build relationships with, this, with these tribe members and with this man particularly. And they became, uh, uh, they, they went on a, a missions uh, tour to, to go around in the United States to tour churches and mission stations to be able to describe the, the great work that God had done in this nation. And there was one point when they connected with, um, was it Steve at Curtis Chapman or St Steve Bell? Steve Camp, I think it was Steve Camp. They were, they were at a missions conference with Steve Camp and, and they met with him beforehand and they were going through some music, some, some new recordings that Steve had just done. And as they were playing this music with the, the Wauding uh, 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 tribesmen that were right there, a song came up, a, a rendition of the Hallelujah Chorus. <laughs> and this man who had killed Steve Saint's dad suddenly looked, said, that's the music. That's the song, the chanting that we heard up in the trees 
as these men's souls were for being accepted into heaven. <laughs> they heard the angels singing the hallelujah chorus. And he recognized it. He had heard other orchestral music before, but, but he recognized this particular song as the very song that was being sung by the angels as these missionaries were brought into heaven. <laughs> In our suffering, when we trust our soul to a faithful creator, his glory is revealed. I don't know what suffering you're going through, what suffering we will face as a body of Christ going forward. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, we can face it with courage. We can face it with strength. We can face that fiery trial with hope, a living hope that will not disappoint. We can face it with rejoicing because the creator who has made us, who has called us, is faithful. And in that fiery trial, we will meet him. He will be glorified. And he will work in our lives and purify our hearts so that we will become an effective witness and testimony in this world. And there will be others who will join us as a part of the body of Christ because we were faithful in suffering. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this marvelous promise. Lord, we need your spirit to come into our hearts to transform our perspective on suffering so that we're no longer afraid, that we're no longer anxious, that we no longer get caught up in discouragement, but instead, God, that we would face that suffering with joy to recognize that we are sharing in your sufferings that have brought us life. Would you change our hearts? Would you teach us and train us to trust in a faithful creator who will work in our hearts and our lives and bless, bless all that comes out of that fiery trial. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Shirley's going to come and lead us in another song. Song that, that talks about that faithful creator. That even in our suffering, that he works and accomplishes his purpose. No matter what you might face, no matter what struggles you might go through, God will make a way. <laughs>